We welcome all who come to St. Anne's today and to those who join us by way of live stream at this 11 o'clock Mass. Know that you're always welcome here in spiritual communion as you join us in prayer this holy hour. The British have a saying that in polite company, there are three things you don't want to talk about. Politics, sex, and everyone know? Religion. Why? Why not talk about these things in polite company? Because more often than not, when we bring up these subjects, there is a tendency, if left unchecked, for that conversation to become a debate. And the debate, if left unchecked, can become an argument. And then if left unchecked again, the argument gets personal, emotional, and then there's anger, resentment, hatred, division. And you end up leaving the table with a very bad feeling about that person or even about yourself. And in the way home, your wife or husband or someone might say, why did you bring it up? Haven't you learned, just don't bring up that subject. You know they're Democrats, they won't agree with you. <laughs> or they're Republicans and you know they're going to hell, right? People say these things. And that inflames it even further, right? That doesn't help. But you all know, you've been around long enough that these conversations about politics and sex and religion and any other issue of the day can easily become a fire out of control emotionally. So much so that today we don't talk about civil discourse. There was a time in this city, I remember, where people could get together and talk about their differences of opinions about various topics of interest at the time, different political persuasions, different sides of the aisle, but they didn't leave angry. They still remained friends, or at least friendly, or at best even just civil. But civil discourse is a very strange and rare phenomenon today. It's too bad, because so much of the conversation is anger, people yelling at each other, screaming at each other, condemning each other, not even listening to each other. And if you disagree with their opinion, the tendency is, oh, now you're disrespecting me? Now it's personal? A lot of confusion about how to have a proper conversation to converse to convert, interesting, with each other and for each other. To convert, to converse, to have that conversation. This is very important spiritually now. 
So I can't give you advice on how to have that conversation. You know best how it works for you or how it doesn't work. But there's another conversation going on right now among other conversations or maybe just debates or maybe now they're arguments and emotions are flaring. So the court's decision on Friday to overturn Roe v. Wade once again has opened a door and on one side, people rejoice in the sanctity of human life. After 50 years, this is a great cause for celebration for many and for the Catholic Church in particular, who's been engaged in the pro-life movement incredibly strong. On the other side, the reaction. Because every action has a reaction. And so now there's reaction from both sides. However you want to come down on the issue. And it's very important not to become reactionary. Oh, you can have a reaction. We all do by nature. But spiritually now, how to check your reaction to that issue or any issue of the day without becoming reactionary. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean, you start fighting. To be reactionary is to say, I don't care what you think. I'm not even going to listen to you anymore. I'm going to go after you and kill you. I'm going to condemn you. I'm going to delete you from my life. That's not good. See, we call that phenomenon in psychology antagonistic symbiosis. I preached on this once or twice before. A symbiotic relationship is a very healthy one. There are differences. Plants give off oxygen, we breathe it in, we give off what they need, and they breathe it in. And it's a symbiotic, healthy. Differences, but healthy, life-giving. Antagonistic symbiosis is when two parties have to live together, work together, exist together, but now one party begins to make the other party sick. And the other party breathes in that sickness and they do become sick. So how to develop some spiritual Teflon, if you will, to keep your sickness from becoming mine. And for me to also acknowledge that I can make you sick. So we've been wearing masks for a couple years now under the hope that somehow I can keep your sickness from me and my sickness from you. But it doesn't always work, does it? But we try. We're doing the best we can to minimize the antagonism, the sickness that can easily become mine or yours if we're not mindful. Now, St. Paul says this much. It's fascinating. The readings always speak to us in every time. 
and other circumstances right now. He says, if you go on biting and devouring one another, beware that you are not consumed by one another. Now that's what antagonism is, antagonistic symbiosis. You live with each other, but you continue to bite, devour, condemn, judge. And then you get sick. You get consumed by that. He calls that world sarx, S-A-R-X in Greek. Sarx means the flesh. It's not sex. It's not the body. Sarx in Greek is a much bigger phenomenon of what we would call the worldly, the secular, the material world. And so Paul is always trying to tell these people in these letters, look, there's a tension that goes on between the life of heaven, the heavenly realm, and the world, Sarks. And that the Christian is somehow caught in this tension of being in the world without being of the world. To be in the world, engage in the world, yes. The world is a wonderful place that God gave us to advance science, the natural order, even to express our faith and pro proclaim the kingdom of God. But we're not grounded in the world. We're not grounded in the flesh, in sarks, because he says, live by the spirit and you will certainly not gratify that desire of the flesh, sarks, the world. Live by the Spirit, and you can live in the world, but you have your sights set on the heavenly realm. So that you don't get caught up and consumed by the world. Now that's very powerful, and it may well be the antidote, I believe, spiritually, to all of our problems, fundamentally. To remember that I was made to know, love, and serve God first, not the world. I mean, I love the world, but that's not my God. But if I make the world my God, if I make any person, place, or thing in this world God, we call that idolatry. And the problem with that is that we lose our identity. I no longer know who I am. I get lost. I get, as St. Paul says, consumed by the world. And the world would love to just eat us up. The world will always seek to just eat us up, consume us. Because you're just as consumer good in the eyes of the world. All relationships are contractual in the eyes of the world. You're just another economic entity in the eyes of the world. You matter more if you have what the world needs. You matter less to the world if you have less than it wants from you. Sad. But if we give in to that, see, then we lose ourselves. And that's part of the bigger picture around all these issues of the debates, in my estimation, spiritually. I'm not here to debate Roe v. Wade or weigh this or that today. I'm talking to you as a pastor as a priest, the spiritual antidote. Now here in the Gospel of Luke, James and John have 
bought into for a moment through their anger, their hatred for the Samaritans. Samaritans hated Jews, Jews hated Samaritans. That's the context. And they're on their way and they stop into a Samaritan village and the Samaritans say, no way. You're not of our party. You're not of our persuasion. Get out of here. We have nothing to do with you Jews. James and John say, okay, Lord, shall we call down fire from heaven to consume them? Let's eat them up. Let's kill them. Yeah. Because that's the right thing to do, right, Lord? They don't agree with us. They don't like us. Let's get even and kill them. Consume them. Same word that St. Paul uses, to be consumed, eaten up. Jesus turns to them and what? Rebukes them. Stop it. It's the same thing he'll say on Good Friday when Peter pulls out the sword, remember, and cuts off the ear of Malchus, and Jesus says, that is enough. No more. Stop this. Why? Because now James and John are being consumed by the world in their anger. And they want to be victorious. And they want to win this debate. They want to show how strong they are. Jesus says, you are weak. You guys are losers. You've bought into the world again. Stop it. Very important. Now, it's interesting, too. Jesus goes on to another village. There are times when we just have to walk away from certain relationships, certain persons, places, things that consume us. Because we are weak. And each one of us knows how strong we can be or how weak we can be. But Jesus just, what? Says, let's go. Let's move on. This place is not welcoming us. He'll say the same thing to his disciples when he sends them out. Remember, two by two. And if a place doesn't welcome you, shake the dust from its feet and move on. Just move on. Don't walk away mad. Just walk away. Now that can be an act of charity. It can take a lot of suffering because our tendency in the Anglo-Saxon Puritan culture is, no, let's get even. So it would be a mistake for us as Catholics to say, I think, that we've won. We've won the pro-life movement. That's okay, cause for celebration, but tone it down. Why? Because for every action, there is reaction. Don't inflame people's anger. Because they're sick too. It's very important. St. Paul and our Lord are saying, charity. You can proclaim and celebrate the truth, but always with love. That doesn't mean I have to like you. That doesn't mean I have to approve of your opinion. There are a lot of people I don't like. There are a lot of people I don't like. And there are a lot of you that don't like me, right? Really? <laughs> but I love you. And I would hope and pray that you love me. Big difference between like and love. Jesus did not say, thou shalt like your enemy. Thou shalt always approve of your enemy. No, he says, 
and St. Paul too, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The whole law is summed up in that. Now, see, the Christian understands what true love, L-O-V-E, is. And we keep pointing to our Lord, the passion, the love of God. It's a suffering love. There's no way around it. I can't truly love you unless I suffer that. Because there's going to be many occasions where we don't agree. I don't like your personality. I don't like maybe what I see. I don't really like you. But I suffer it. Out of love for God, who suffers his love for you and me. Now, to love God as God loves us, this is the Christian distinction now. So to love you is a, is a real suffering at times. To love people that don't agree with us or with you or with me. But don't give up on them. Because your charity, your patience, your passionate love for them actually is the antidote for you and for them. It's the best medicine to love them, to show the charity, the patience, the kindness. That's not weakness, friends. The world, oh, you, you, you Catholics are there for weak. No, ironically, it's the courage. It's the strength of the gospel. It's exactly what our Lord would do. And we see that over and over again throughout the gospels, how he reacted patiently, kindly, suffering it. And that kept him grounded in his Father. I know that will keep you grounded in the Father through the Son by power of the Holy Spirit. That's your weapon. That's your armor. That's the truth with love. <laughs>